Good morning. It's great to be here. <laughs> My name is Karen Houcher, and I serve on staff uh, as the Director of Women's Ministries here at the church. And uh, I have a little row up here. They're, my, they're how I'm a mom. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm thankful to be here this Mother's Day uh, because of them. When Scott asked me if I would like to preach on Mother's Day, I asked him for some time to think about it. I really didn't know how I was going to answer him. Because it's work, right? <laughs> and it's kind of my day, but anyways, that's okay. <laughs> Although each Sunday when we come to church, we have a bit of an expectation of what it's going to look like, on Mother's Day there are various viewpoints depending on your circumstances. I'm not a man or a youth, but, what I have, but from what I have heard from the men and youth in my life is that they often come to church on Mother's Day because of the mums in their life. Thanks, men and youth. Uh, I know I don't need to remind you that being a mum is a big job and a bit of a thankless one, and today is a great day to remember to say thank you and to bless the mums in your life. And then there are the women in this room. Our circumstances are as varied as we are. A friend of mine shared a prayer with me as she heard my heart for the women in this room, and I'd like to share it. So whether you are here looking forward to Mother's Day or dreading it, this is my prayer for you, written by Amy Young and adapted by Heidi Carrington Heath. I want you to know I'm praying for you if you are like Tamar, struggling with infertility or a miscarriage. I want you to know that I am praying for you if you are like Rachel, counting the women among your family and friends who year by year and month by month get pregnant while you wait. I want you to know I'm praying for you if you are like Naomi and have known the bitter sting of a child's death. I want you to know I am praying for you if you are like Joseph and Benjamin and your mom has died. I want you to know that I am praying for you if your relationship with your mom was marked, marked by trauma, abuse, or abandonment, or she just couldn't parent you the way you needed. I want you to know I am praying for you if you've been like Moses' mother and put a child up for adoption, trusting another family to love your child into adulthood. I want you to know I am praying for you if you've been like Pharaoh's daughter, called to love children who are not yours by birth, and thus the mother who brought that child into your life, even if it's complicated. I want you to know I am praying for you if you, like many, are watching or have watched your mother age and disappear into the long goodbye of dementia. I want you to know that I am praying for you if you, like Mary, are pregnant for the very first time and waiting breathlessly for the miracle of your first child. 
I want you to know that I am praying for you if your children have turned away from you, painfully closing the door on relationship, leaving you, you holding your broken heart in your hands. And like Hagar, now you are mothering alone. I want you to know that I am praying for you if motherhood is your greatest joy and toughest struggle all rolled into one. I want you to know that I am praying for you if you are watching your child battle substance abuse, a public legal situation, mental illness, or another situation which you can merely watch unfold. I want you to know that I am praying for you if you, like so many women before you, do not wish to be a mother, are not married, or in so many other ways do not fit into societal norms. I want you to know that I am praying for you if you see yourself reflected in all or none of these stories. This Mother's Day, wherever and whoever you are, we walk with you. You are loved, you are seen, you are worthy. And may you know the deep love without end of our big, wild, beautiful God, who is the very best example of a parent that we know. Amen. As women, these are some of the various places that we are coming from. And for anyone who speaks on Mother's Day, this is very much on our minds. So perhaps you can see why it wasn't an easy decision today. It's a day full of emotions for me too. But I am excited to be here and I am thankful to Scott for giving me this opportunity to share with you today. While the text for today is not traditionally about motherhood, Romans 12 is for each one of us who are believers, and therefore for mums. It was written to the Roman church and to us in order to explain how to live out the theology that Paul had just explained in the previous chapters. It's practical application a how-to guide of how each one of us can live a life of worship. So turn with me now to Romans 12, and I'm reading in the NLT today. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. 
If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would reveal more of yourself to us in our time together. Amen. In previous chapters, Paul writes to the church that salvation and Christ's righteousness has been provided for them by God through faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. He stresses throughout Romans that this salvation is not by anything we have done, but by the grace of God. And this is what leads us to Romans 12. When we understand what Jesus has done for us, it changes everything. And there is a practical outworking of our faith. It changes the way we live our lives, and it's through the way we live our lives on a daily basis that we truly worship him. So although righteousness is given to us by grace through Jesus, and not something we attain by being really good, the way we live our lives will be shaped by this reality of grace, and we will be different than we were before we believed in Jesus. The church is called the family of God throughout scripture, so even as we understand how we, the family of God, are to practically walk out our faith, I believe it's appropriate within the context of a Christian family to also apply the principles that we find here. Romans 12 is a call to worship God by giving ourselves to him as a living and holy sacrifice and how to actually do that within the realities of our lives. As moms, it's the walking out of our theology, in part so that our children learn who God is, not only by what we teach them, but also by the way we live our lives. We all know that actions often speak louder than words, and our kids are always watching us. 
Our lives as moms can be so busy, and being a mom can become almost all-consuming depending on your season of life. However, by God's grace, this life that you are living, no matter what the circumstances, can be a life of worship. Applying our theology and the things that we know about God to the way we live our life allows us to gain an eternal perspective on the realities of life. So verse one, the version I'm using says, and so. Your version may say, therefore. So we always look back, it's been said time and again from this pulpit, we always look back to understand why there's a connecting word. Paul is referring back to what he has explained previously, which is since God has given us Jesus, salvation, peace with himself, Paul pleads with us to give our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice the kind God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Often we view worship as the songs we sing or the money we give in the offering, and these are expressions of worship, but not true worship. Worship is living a life completely surrendered to God. In 1828, Webster's Dictionary defined it as, worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. I'm going to read that again. Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. The language in verse 1 shows us how deeply Paul feels about his instruction. He says, and so I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. He is desperate for us to understand this. And I don't know about you, but that's not a word I ever use. I never tell people, I'm pleading with you. It just shows how strongly he felt. Each of us take care of our bodies, and while this is right and good, the purpose of my body is no longer simply for my benefit and serving my wants and needs. Instead, my body becomes an instrument of God's to use as he sees fit. I live a life of worship to to him by becoming a living sacrifice. My purpose and focus is God and others. When our babies were just months old, we would have so much fun having them do what I do. You know, it's by copying that babies learn language and facial cues and how to do activities. And uh, I was thinking about our youngest at his uh, first birthday party. And, you know, I had these fancy cupcakes and they had like bright green or blue icing that were, it was just quite something. And, you know, he sat at his, at his tray and his cupcake was there and, you know, he, the first taste of sugar and fat, really, that he had ever had. It's quite the experience, these first birthdays. And, you know, he t- slowly tastes and then starts playing. And I have one of those brother-in-laws that everybody needs. <laughs> that crazy, fun uncle. And he came along and he's like, after he saw the fingers full, Hey, Eli, (laughs) rubbing it in his hair, you know, all over. And, you know, it was so fun, but it's such a perfect example. He had no idea what he was doing, but he was going to copy because that's what we do. And if we're honest, we still often look around and figure out what we are supposed to do by watching the people around us, don't we? The power of following the crowd is real, 
And Paul knows that this is often how we learn things. So he starts with don't. Don't copy the world. Basically, he's saying that when you look at the world, know that they very likely have it wrong. Scripture tells us that for now, Satan is the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4, and he's wrecking his havoc while he can, deceiving people. Satan is the major influence on ideas, goals, priorities, and opinions of the majority of people. His deception is woven into the fabric of every part of our society. Early in, earlier in Romans, in chapter 1, Paul lists some of the ways of the world. Verse 28. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. When you turn on your TV, or scroll through Facebook, isn't this what you see? Paul says, don't look to what everybody else is doing to figure out how to live this life of being a living sacrifice, this life of worship. I like John Murray's explanation in the Epistle to the Romans of what copying the behavior and customs of the world is. Conformity to this age is to be wrapped up in the things that are temporal, to have all our thought oriented to that which is seen and temporal. If all our calculations, plans, ambitions are determined by what falls within the life here, then we are children of this age. Practically speaking, this means that as we live life and as we are parents to our kids, the way we do things is going to look differently than the way it is for most, pe most people. Our entertainment, our conversations, our priorities, and how we spend our time will look different than the family down the street. We are looking beyond the desires we have today to live life with an eternal significance, and this will shape every part of our lives. Paul goes on to explain, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How quickly the world's opinions become our opinions, and these become our truth if we don't take every, each and every thought and opinion back to the word of God and discover what he has to say. As you spend time meditating on and memorizing God's word, it will change the way you think. His thoughts become our thoughts as truth takes hold in our lives. You know, scripture reveals truth in every circumstance of our lives, and, uh, and we know it's true. And is that the place that we always go to? I was thinking about kids and being up in the middle of the night <laughs> with who knows what. <laughs> 
<laughs> Lots of different things you could be up in the middle of the night dealing with. As a mom, do I view my kids biblically, even when I'm tired? Psalm 127.3 says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Scripture speaks on how to deal with the worries and stresses of our life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The word of God truly gives us guidance for every area of our lives. God's word has the answers to the issues that we have questions about, and following his instructions will give us peace. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. As believers, Paul implores us, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God will transform us and our perspectives as we allow scripture to shape our thinking. As moms, we can ask the Holy Spirit for his wisdom and for opportunity to speak truth and life into our kids' lives and circumstances. How powerful is the right word at the right time? And when it's the word of God, it will literally transform us into a new person. It's in the word of God, and now science has caught up. Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming new neural connections. In Priscilla Shire's Armor of God study, she goes into detail about her friend, Dr. Caroline Leaf, who studies neuroplasticity. Dr. Leaf explains, our thoughts occupy mental real estate. Every time you have a thought, it is actively changing your brain and your body for better or worse. When we control our thought life, new neural connections and pathways are visible visibly and measurably formed in the brain, which affects the health and wellness of our physical bodies. In other words, when we take our thoughts captive and choose to think, think on things that are true and honorable and right and lovely, we are quite literally renewing and restoring our minds from a state of unhealthiness and deterioration to a state of wholeness and strength in God. Living a life of worship as a living sacrifice to God is about knowing God's will for your life and living in submission to him. However, it doesn't stop there and it flows into how we live life in relationship with others. Paul says in verse 3, we're to live humbly. He says, don't think you're better than you really are. C.S. Lewis said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less. Each one of us as believers, by the grace of God, have been given gifts to share with the rest of the body. We need to resist the urge to compare our gifts because they are different and have different purposes, but each is vitally important. We need to operate within our gifts so that the body of Christ is built up. Paul lists some of the gifts here in verses six to eight. 
So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. How well our church and our relationships will function when we operate within the giftings that God has given us. Paul goes on to urge us to really and truly love. We know that God is love, and his priority for each one of us is to love as well. Don't just pretend to love, Paul says. You know, when I simply tolerate someone, I am not loving them. Tolerance isn't love, and the love we are looking for isn't simply a feeling either. It's not an emotion. Love is a verb. It's an action. We have love defined for us in 1 Corinthians 13. Although it's often read at weddings, uh, it's a message for the church and for in our homes as well. 1 Corinthians 13:4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Verses 9 through 13 further unpack how to live. We're to love each other, to hate what is wrong. Paul asks us to hold tightly to what is good. We could try to list all the good things that God gives, and we'd be here for quite a while. But instead, I want to remind you of the strategic priorities for SGAC that the board set out for us last fall. And this isn't to get brownie points or anything, as my husband wondered. (laughs) It's short and familiar list that you can use as a tool to decipher if the activity in question, you know, sometimes we don't know what we're supposed to be doing, and if this is a good use of our time. Um, So this is a good tool for what am I supposed to be holding tightly to? What are the activities that help you and your family thrive spiritually? What builds community? How can you reach the lost? Activities that fit into one, two, or all of these priorities, these are the good kind of things that we want to hold tightly to. The enemy of our souls will have us spend our time doing things that make us just be spinning our wheels. He will always try to keep us too busy for the life-giving activities that God has for us. Always. He goes on to say, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Do we honor one another? Do we look for opportunity to encourage and show appreciation? This is part of how we practically give ourselves to God as a living and holy sacrifice. This is how we live a life of worship. 
In our house, one of the kitchen cabinets is a chalkboard as well. And I used to be really good at switching it out and we'd celebrate birthdays on there and I'd put verses that I wanted us to all learn. And I don't change it as often as I used to, but I still wanna put this verse on there. Verse 11, never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Isn't that a great one? (laughs) All our kids need to memorize that one. My notes in my Bible say an alternative translation is, never be lazy, but let the Spirit excite you as you serve the Lord. If we all allowed the Spirit to excite us as we serve the Lord, how would our church look? How would our families look? How would we feel about the work and the circumstances that God has called us to? Each family experiences difficulties in some way or another, circumstances that we would not choose if we were able. Sickness, loss of a loved one, issues at work, financial hardships, and relationship challenges are common to each of us. If we look beyond our homes, we can be discouraged by the state of our society. As believers, we often see biblical values mocked and ridiculed in the world around us. Verse 12 reminds us to be patient in troubles. They will happen. We won't be spared them. But to keep on praying and rejoice in the confident hope we have in Jesus. We want to see even our troubles with eternal perspective. We are invited to live lives of hospitality, to share what we have with those in need, and live for others, not simply ourselves. What a beautiful home this is, that it describes, a church and a home. Paul appeals to us to live in harmony with each other, to ask for God's blessings for those who make life difficult for us, to live life together in community, sharing joy and sorrow with each other, and ensuring that we are friends with all sorts of people. I love that, ordinary people, right? We want to have all types of friends. We are called to be countercultural. The world's way is seeking retribution. In our flesh, we want to recognize the ways we've been wronged, and if not make them pay, at least make it be known that they were wrong and I was right. This is not God's way. As a mom who has had the task of wiping tears, hearing stories, and guiding kids through mistreatments, unkindnesses, and truly things that are not fair. This is a hard one. I believe I find it easier to forgive someone who mistreats me than someone who wrongs my child. I think they call that the mama bear. A mother's protectiveness, which is a God-given attribute, can be twisted and used by Satan if we are not on guard and aware that again, This is the way the world responds. Paying back evil with evil. As believers, we are called to a different way of life. We are called to provide for our enemies' needs and to treating them kindly. To not be conquered by evil, but to conquer evil by doing good. We know that our God is a God of justice. We must trust him with our hurts. Sometimes we wonder if what we are doing each day makes any difference. I want to to tell you that it does. All of our actions and activities have eternal significance. 
If you're a mom who is still raising your kids here today, I know that in a place of fatigue, you can wonder if there's a point to all that you do. Please be encouraged and know that there is. Every day, not only the words you speak, but the way you live your life is preaching a message to your family. The life we are called to, it's a countercultural life, but it's living a life of worship using our whole lives, every aspect of it, to honor God with extravagant love and extreme submission. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the work that you do in each of our hearts and lives. Thank you for the life that you call us to. We know we don't want to be like the world. And the life that you've laid out for us brings joy and peace. And so, Lord, help us to apply your truth into our everyday lives to let what we know about you and your greatness, the sacrifice that you made for us in Jesus, that it would actually change the way we live out our lives. And that both the words that we say and that the way, the way that we live would be a testimony to our family and to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.